Mr. Wallace, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In this test case for thousands of cases being held in abeyance, a five-judge panel of the Federal Circuit held, with Judge Mayer dissenting, that as applied to exports, the harbor maintenance tax enacted by Congress in 1986 is an invalid tax in violation of the Constitution's export clause, rather than, as we contend, a permissible user fee. The provision at issue was enacted as part of the Water Resources Development Act of 1986, the first legislation in more than a decade uh, to authorize development of new facilities in the nation's harbors. There was concern during this period that port development projects in the United States had lagged behind those of other developed countries and that this was contributing to our severe trade imbalance. At the same time, this was a period in which there were large budget deficits and uh, objections to using federal funding to address this problem. Um, And it was one that, uh, um, as Judge Mayer pointed out in his dissenting opinion, engaged the attention of Congress over an extended period involving three Congresses and more than four years of numerous hearings and other activities. And uh, uh, one uh, uh, of the uh, uh, solutions uh, to the funding problem uh, was uh, to uh, uh, craft a system of user fees that would avoid the need for um, uh, funding out of general revenues. Sort of similar to the last case, isn't it, Trying, uh, finding someone else to pay? Well, in, in, in this instance, there was a practical problem to be addressed. Uh, uh, improvements were needed, and the beneficiaries of uh, these facilities uh, uh, could, under uh, court precedent, be charged user fees uh, to uh, 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 defray the costs of providing these facilities for their commercial benefit. Does does the record show, or are there statistics that we can uh, examine to determine uh, how much uh, of this tax is paid by people who are exporting uh, in contracts to those who are just shipping from point to point in the United States? Um, I don't uh, uh, offhand uh, uh, I'm not able to point to a breakdown in the statistics in the in the record, not certainly not in what we've reproduced in the joint appendix. Perhaps uh, my colleagues will be able to find something on that. Um, I do uh, want to say that the, the one of the most difficult problems that was faced 
in this massive legislative consideration uh, was how to craft an equitable and workable system of user fees in the context of the multitude of difficulties that were brought to Congress's attention by various industry and port representatives as well as members of the executive branch. One would have thought that if all this attention was devoted to user fees, the, the enactment wouldn't have been called a tax. Well, uh, uh, it perhaps was unfortunate, uh, a choice of nomenclature, but uh, the Court's decisions do make it clear that nomenclature is not in itself controlling. Now, and also, this thing is based on the value of the goods exported, isn't it? That is correct. So that you have a little package of computer chips this big that takes no space in the ship at all, and it's going to result in a huge tax, but a big uh, quantity of wheat that actually does require a large ship to convey it and so forth might pay substantially less. That is and you might be less. It's kind of an odd sort of a user fee, isn't it? That is exactly correct, and, and, and um, if I may, I would like to elaborate on this with reference to the legislative consideration of this very issue. But first, I just want to interject in response to Justice Kennedy's previous question that on page 63 of the Joint Appendix, there are some statistics that will uh, shed some light on the question that he asked. Now, we have in our references isolated from the massive record um, of legislative consideration portions, which are themselves quite hefty, that dealt quite specifically with the user fee problem. And with the Court's permission, I would like to turn briefly to some brief excerpts from a statement uh, that Senator uh, Hatfield made, which encapsulates the difficulties and the reasons for the crafting of it. How, were, how, how would a statement like that bear on whether or not this is a violation of the export clause? Well, I, 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 I think it bears on the reasons why uh, uh, the particular uh, kinds of objections that are being raised to the way the fee was crafted um, may be uh, uh, not uh, aspects of the fee that actually uh, disadvantage exports, but to some extent may be aspects that were designed to be advantageous to exports and also shows that some of the serious economic dislocations that were sought to be avoided in trying to find a, an equitable manner of putting this fee together. And uh, I, I, but, I mean, I, if you'd had... 20 wizards sitting down and coming up with the best possible solution, in their view, to the, the, these sort of, if it violated the export tariff clause, it's still bad. Of course, it? we do not contend that the difficulties and the magnitude of the effort that Congress put in would excuse a constitutional violation. But we do contend that it is too facile for others to contend that a court 
um, should ignore uh, uh, these aspects of the legislative consideration and merely hypothesize whether theoretically it could think of a system that might seem more appropriate to the court, which is insulated from the uh, legislative concerns that no, were before the No, but you're talking about Congress. a user fee of harbors. You'd think that would have something to do with the ships and the tonnage that's required and, and how deep the harbor needs to be and how big the dock has to be, and that turns on how large the ship needs to be, and this doesn't bear any relation to that. Well, uh, that that is part of the reason that it took that many years for the Congress to craft a solution, because they started off with some of those same assumptions but found that they couldn't work it out that way for very serious Mr. reasons. Mr. Wallace, you've piqued my curiosity. Why don't you read us that material you wanted to tell us about? <laughs> All right. I, th- th- these are brief excerpts. Put it in for what it's worth, Mr. And, 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 yeah, these are brief excerpts of, of what Congress thought it was doing and why, and, and I might interject a few comments as, as I go along here. Uh, in Senator Hatfield's statement, and, and it's in this hearing called User Fees for Ports and Waterways that we cite at the bottom of page 4 of our brief, He starts off pointing out we have not had a major authorization in this area for 15 years. There are many economic and political reasons for this delay, but the resolution of the user fee component is a key element in getting a bill to the floor and passed five years ago. I convened a bipartisan group to explore legislative proposals addressing the expectations of the administration for user fees while taking into account the economic realities of the navigation economy and the users of the nation's waterways. Over that period, I have introduced three separate and distinct proposals, one of which he explains became the bill that uh, Congress later uh, shortly thereafter enacted. He then explains, we reserved, meaning rejected in context, user fees based on tonnage because they disproportionately would affect bulk cargo marketability when compared to their impact on containerized cargo. What what state was Senator Hatfield from? Oregon. A lot of timber. He was talking about a bipartisan group that spent years of study on this. He was not, these are not uh, views stated individually. But doesn't his statement boil down to saying that a fee, which is a real user fee, is going to have an economic impact that we don't want? Isn't that what it boils down to? Well, uh, it it depends. I mean, uh, it's not a a real user fee. Tonnage is not the only measure of economic value that someone secures from facilities uh, in these days. It's a measure of use. It's a measure of use, isn't it? It, isn't it, it is isn't it supposed to be a measure of use than, than value? It is a measure of use. If, if I may just, in answering this, the very next sentence says that 
a fee based on tonnage also would disadvantage export-dependent ports in contrast to import-dependent ports. One of their concerns was that our export trade would be hurt by a user fee based on this. Much of our export was in these bulk commodities, grains, uh, iron ore, which was having difficulty competing in international trade from the Great Lakes ports, which were suffering, suffering some depression at the time. Uh, 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 lumber, as, as is pointed out, and other wood products. Uh, um, the bipartisan group also rejected a port-specific approach to fees because it would have the effect of disadvantaging ports with higher operation and maintenance costs and could cause consolidation of port facilities to a few superports. This could have severe economic implications for scores of communities across the country. So then he explains that the approach they finally chose to adopt is a nationally uniform single-tier fee based on a percentage of cargo value. And this ad valorem concept, as he explains, that equitably balances containerized versus bulk cargoes places all ports on an equal footing and does not affect the marketability of any product or commodity. It also treats all coastal ranges of the continental U.S. in the same manner, east and west coast, Great Lakes, and Gulf Coasts. uh, Suppose they pay for it out of the highway trust fund, part of transportation. Is the gas tax now really a user fee? Is that right? That, that is I mean, true. I guess the ga- all your arguments would say we don't even have a gas tax. We have a, a highway user fee. Is that right? Even though no, they call it, it a gas tax. It is really. very similar. In fact, the trust so, fund so, is So there. if we accept your argument, there is, no, there is no gas tax. It's really a highway user fee. And, and if, in fact, they uh, uh, decided to pay for the ports out of the highway trust fund, uh, then the whole thing is a highway user fee. Uh, maybe it's an income user fee, a facilities user fee. The income tax is a really a, a user fee for using the country's uh, <laughs> facilities. Uh, well, we how do you draw the this line? Far, but the, the particular concern that Congress was addressing here was the disadvantage to the commercial use of our ports and to commerce resulting from the outmoded nature of the facilities. You can get rid of all the disadvantage to exports by putting the whole thing in the income tax. That doesn't make the income tax a user fee. No, <laughs> so well, maybe of course it does. not. But it, it, it would mean that it, it, it would become a matter of general funding. In any Mr. event — Mr. Wallace, I thought that when we made an exception from the constitutional prohibition of federal taxes on exports — when, when, when we enunciated an exception for user fees, I didn't think that meant any charge imposed on users. I, 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 that, that would make it no limitation at all. So long as you impose the tax through users, you can tax exports as much as you like. If that limitation is, is, is to have any, uh, any bounds at all, it seems to me we must mean by user fee uh, a charge that is based upon the degree of use. Of, of the port. Well, I think this Court's jurisprudence in distinguishing taxes from user fees shows that it is 
uh, a, 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 a more variegated distinction. Not in the export clause field. In, in, in other, you're, you're referring to cases that, that deal with, uh, with, with other provisions of the Constitution, but not the export clause. Well, those cases all had their root in a case uh, called Pace against Burgess, which was an export clause. And in, 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 in Pace, the Court was at pains to point out that the charge there was not an ad valorem charge. That is true, but it, but it also uh, made a, a, a — but ad valorem charges have since been upheld as, as permissible methods of not using — Not under the export clause. It's but it, in other contexts where constitutional objections were raised. But uh, the constitutional objections may be quite different in different cases. We have here a very specific prohibition. And the, you know, the Pace case, the Fairbank case, deal with those particular, that particular clause. I'm, I'm surprised you, you, perhaps it's our fault that you haven't been able to get to those cases yet. But, well, uh, I, I, we I'm, I'm trying to, to set this up in, in context. Yeah, we know that Congress gave its all on this thing. But now let's look at the <laughs> but ball. Yes, yes. Uh, and and, and uh, I, I have to uh, add one further consideration that inhibited the legislative consideration, and that was it was all done against a backdrop of awareness of our international trade relations and international agreements with our trading partners, which also do not supersede constitutional limitations, but they're relevant to whether Congress was going to be able to solve this user fee question, because those agreements, it was GAD at at that time and now WTO, in which there have been reciprocal reductions of tariffs, uh, those, uh, uh, there are expectations and obligations that uh, um, uh, prevent uh, 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 members in those agreements from discriminating against the foreign industry in favor of the domestic industry. And even though the measure adopted here was one that generally would be favorable to exports as against imports, the ad valorem method, for reasons that Senator Hatfield explained, that could be defensible under these agreements. But to charge user fees to imports and not to exports in these same harbors could be a basis for objections and retaliation by our trading partners as a disguised form of raising our tariffs again. Mr. Wallace, is that why you suggested that maybe this, if we ruled against you, the whole thing would fall? That sort of surprised me in page 18, footnote 8 of your brief. You say that if the decision of the Court of Appeals... Um, stands that would effectively abolish the trust fund. It would void the harbor maintenance tax in its entirety. And I had been thinking up till now, well, no, it would only excise the export feature of it. And now you're suggesting, well, maybe the import would also fall? No, no, we really meant that in context only for exporters. But uh, there, there is, I, I don't want to suggest that this would not be severable, 
But the concern about possible retaliation by our trading partners in saying that we've, in disguise, raised our tariff rates again, and so they're going to raise theirs, that would not only affect the public interest in our balance of trades, but it would directly affect exporters from this country. It, it would be something that would burden exports from but this country. But it would country. be applied to them the same way it would apply shipping, say, from New York to Texas? No, I'm, I'm talking about retaliation by our trading partners. If they then raise their tariffs, that makes it harder for industries in this country that wish to export to be able to export. Well, well I take it it's more serious than that. If we strike down the export provision and require refunds, but the importers can't get any refunds, then we're in violations of the agreement. Well, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say we're necessarily in violations, although a foreign country, one of our trading partners, might make such a claim before the World Trade Organization. But they also could use this as a reason to impose retaliatory measures. Congress was faced with a very complex problem here. The Constitution is designed uh, for modern commerce as well as for the commerce that was known at the time that uh, these provisions were adopted. And we think that the Court of Appeals was right in pointing to this Court's user fee jurisprudence, which has been developed in detail in, in uh, uh, fields other than the export clause after Pace against Burgess. Well, well uh, if a provision is uh, under Alternative 1, a tax on imports and exports, it doesn't seem to me that that makes it any more or any less a user fee under any other alternative. Well, I, I, in other words, you're, you're, I, I understand the problem that Congress was faced with. It can't tax uh, uh, imports, uh, exports. That doesn't mean that if it tax, taxes imports and exports, it's no longer an export tax. It's still the same thing. It's still an export tax. Well, we understand that from the IBM case, if this were a tax, and that is why we are arguing that this is a permissible user fee, which was one of the arguments we had made right along in the case, and indeed had always been our principal argument, and it satisfies uh, the, the basic classic attribute of a user fee that has been developed in many aspects of the Court's jurisprudence. The uh, funds are all impressed into a trust. Well, if it were imposed, let's say, on the, ship, the ships, the owners of the ships or the vessels, and a charge for using the docks or the harbor, which the vessel owners could then pass on in the form of costs to the users of their vessels, uh, I think you'd have a good argument that it's a user fee. But the nature of this makes it awfully hard to, to see it as a user fee. Well, the court in the Evansville-Vanderburg case did say that it seemed to, to uh, the court in, in that context to make no difference whether it was uh, assessed on the airline or on the passenger uh, it, because it came down to the same thing. The cost would be passed along to the passenger. There was a very practical reason for asking the shippers to be the ones to make the payment and that was that uh, the carrier 
would not be in a position once Congress decided that the ad valorem measure was the only equitable one that they could hope to impose, the carriers would not be in a position to know the value of the cargo. Um, and uh, one of the principles that this Court has recognized repeatedly in giving legislative latitude in uh, the crafting of user fees is that you don't want to add administrative expenses that will make the fee more burdensome and more onerous for everybody, that there are virtues in keeping it simple. Uh, um, and the customs service uh, is there, uh, was a resource that could be drawn upon that deals not with the carriers, but with uh, the owners of the goods, with shippers one way or the other. And uh, Congress tried to craft this in a manner that would impose the least burden and would avoid severe economic dislocations in the country. Do we have a definition of user fee? It seems to me your argument is that as long as the fee is paid by users and the money is used for the for the purpose of improving ports, that's enough. That is enough to make it a user fee, and it's a permissible it, user is, is, fee. That is, do I correctly state your position? And if that's true, could you impose a 10 percent tax on the income of every user and then put it in this fund? Well, it, it, uh, if it, it, that would, would have much more difficulty meeting this Court's criteria for what is a valid user fee. Well. There are the three-part criteria, including that it must not be excessive in relation to the cost to the government of providing the benefits that well, are accruing that, to the Then don't you bump into Justice O'Connor's position that if some particularly value, valuable shipment is sent, the cost for that particular shipment is really excessive in terms of the use that is gotten for it. Well, uh, that, you know, that is an ad valorem system. Any system is going to uh, have some applications that could be improved upon in a more utopian scheme. But uh, Congress reasonably concluded that those whose cargo in the aggregate was more valuable were getting greater benefits in terms of enhancement of value from the improvement in uh, facilities that, that was being provided in order uh, to promote their commerce, the commerce of the user. Tell me why it is not true that uh any definition of user fee, which simply defines it as a, a, you know, a fee imposed on users and which does not limit it to the, the cost that is incurred by the facilities in providing the use, any such definition w will be totally ineffective uh, in, 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 uh, in preventing the taxation of exports. Because you could always — I mean, it comes to the same. You call it a user fee and impose an ad, ad valorem tax, which but is what has happened here. The three-part test has fact, to be In fact, met. they didn't even call it a user fee. They called it a tax. Uh, 
the three-part test does have to be met that this Court specified in the Massachusetts case. Which wasn't an, which wasn't an export tax. No, in fact, none of None of your examples of user fees which were upheld have come from the uh, prohibition against a tax on exports. We recognize that, except for the route in Pace against Burgess. And in Pace against Burgess, uh, as I say, pointed out expressly in the Court's reasoning, one of the reasons they upheld it, it was not an ad valorem tax. that is true, but ad valorem taxes have been upheld as user fees uh, in Ferry and, and in Capital Greyhound lines, referred to in Evansville-Vanderburg uh, uh, in the discussion of Capital Greyhound lines as one permissible approach. So those are three decisions of this Court that have recognized that as as a basis for user fees Mr. in a Wallace, proper this context. this case was in the pipeline when IBM was decided. So, um, and my question is, is there anything else in the wake of the IBM decision that's in the lower courts now that we might want to take account of as we decide this case? No, no these have been the main feature that, was, that awaited the decision in IBM, as we pointed out in the IBM briefing itself, that these cases were pending as one of the uh, reasons why a decision was needed in that case, and then the arguments were adjusted accordingly. But it is true that the Court has repeatedly recognized that even exporters can be charged fees for pilotage, for wharfage, for other facilities that are provided, and the line has to be drawn somewhere. Exporters are not exempt from paying their own way in commerce, the same as other users of the facilities of commerce. And the best guidance for drawing the line has been the test that the Court has developed in protecting all constitutionally protected interests. I'd like to reserve the balance of my time. Very well, Mr. Wallace. Uh, Mr. Atwood, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. Uh, First, I'd like to supplement the answer to Justice Kennedy's question about what data is in the record. Uh, Also in the appendix at page 97 is some more updated uh, uh, material about the relative charge on exports and imports and domestic commerce. And in the amicus brief of the Aluminum Company of America, they have the most recent 1997 uh, data. Basically, it tells the same story, and that is that exports have paid between 25 and 30 percent of this tax over the years. And the amount that the exports now pay uh, uh, is uh, is less than uh, the annual surplus that's accumulated. So you could uh, eliminate exports entirely from this tax, and there would still be more revenue coming in than the government is spending on harbor maintenance. That like would to, translate into a tax then on imports only, and I think would raise serious discrimination problems uh, under trade agreements. Well, this, if there is an international issue there, it, it can be solved in the same way the export problem can be solved, which is to make this a legitimate user fee. Uh, I think the foreign governments are concerned by the fact that they thought they had negotiated ad valorem duties of a certain level, and now the United States is imposing ad valorem charges on top of that. 
And that's, that's the problem internationally, if there is one. So a valid user fee approach here, I think, would solve both the export problem and, and the import problem. In fact, uh, I guess the fund um, has quite a surplus in it. It has more than a billion dollars and is expected to hit three billion dollars in just a, a few more fiscal years. Well, that money is just not lying there. I assume the government is using it for other purposes, meanwhile. <laughs> exactly. That, that, is, that is one of our the way it uses taxes The way it generally uses tax money. That is one of our objections to this user fee classification. The Harvard Maintenance Trust Fund is simply an accounting entry. Revenues under this tax are treated as on budget so that every dollar that comes in offsets obligations to raise taxes for discretionary spending under the budget control process. There is a, a, a transfer to the trust fund, which is a non-event for budget purposes. It's simply an accounting entry. And then any expenditures actually made for Harbor Maine. There's enough in there to pay for the uh, coal miners and their dependents. <laughs> <laughs> any appropriation for Harbor Maintenance has to follow the same process as if there were no trust fund. There has to be a bill from both houses of Congress signed by the President, and Congress is free to appropriate as much or as little uh, money as it would like for Harbor Maintenance, irrespective of what's in the trust fund. I'd like to address uh, the government's argument that uh, Mr. Wallace started with that the, this uh, tax, and I, I hope I can call it a tax because that's what Congress called it, was a result of a very complex, delicate uh, legislative process and important compromises were made and sophisticated judgments as to what was possible. Mr. Atwood, before you do that, may I, may I ask if you would t tell us what you think are the essential components of what one could legitimately call a user fee, because I think you told us you're not arguing that the export clause rules out user fees, but it has to be legitimate. And um, Mr. Wallace, if I understood him right, said, well, it's a tax on a user, and it has to meet those three standards. Uh, we are not arguing that there is no such thing as a legitimate user fee. In the context of the export clause, at least, because of its history, because of the unqualified nature of it, because of uh, this course precedence, we think the class of user fees has to be defined strictly and narrowly. There must be a demonstrable service provided to that exporter on that export shipment, an identifiable government service that is uh, being provided to the exporter, and the charge must bear a very close relationship to that service, uh, particularly where a fee is compulsory in nature. To the cost of that service. To the cost of that service, exactly. The costs here include fixed costs for dredging the harbor originally. Is it uh, all maintenance yeah, or is it? Yeah, no, I, I, capital costs. Uh, well, there is a tradition. There is a tradition of something called value of service pricing, mm -hmm. where you charge somebody for the fixed costs in uh, relationship to the value of the commodity that uses the, the, the service. That's the ICC did that for years. And I, I, think I don't know that makes it a great thing, but there is that tradition. Uh, w once you're uh, getting into value of service, I think uh, that is crossing the line into a tax. It really well, nobody would have thought ICC railroad freight car rates were taxes. They, they would have said that those are uh, that, that's simply a way of pricing the, 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 the railroad uh, line. And indeed, they have it in the telephone service business right now. You pay a lower cost of residency. And, I mean, there are all kinds of things like that where fixed costs are divided in, in relationship to the, uh, to the, uh, 
uh, value of the service rather than the cost of the service uh, to the person who's using it. Well, in deciding this case, this Court need not anticipate every possible cost theory that might be advanced, but an ad valorem tax based on a nationwide program, an infrastructure program, is about as far from cost as as is possible. And and it is feasible, uh, I think, for for Congress to have come up with a much more sophisticated, targeted user fee, and that is proven by in the very same legislative package that included the harbor maintenance tax, there was the harbor development tax, which is the state analog. Under the Import-Export Clause, Congress has authority to, um, notwithstanding the Import-Export Clause general prohibition, has authority to authorize state charges of various sorts. And the same legislation included the harbor development tax, which is uh, the key provisions are in the appendix to our brief, where Congress said, okay, states can impose harbor dues, notwithstanding the import-export clause, but they have to be on a project-specific basis. There has to be an identifiable project. They may not impose the dues until the project is up and running and providing services to the shippers, exporters or importers. The costs have to be limited. uh, The fees have to be limited to the cost of the project. And you have to discriminate between which vessels are actually using the project and which are not. This is, this is in the same statute that included the harbor maintenance. Is this imposed on vessels or goods? Uh, it, it, that is not specified in the statute. It says the local, the states and municipalities can consider either approach, but they may not impose charges if the vessel is of a type that would not have benefited from that project. For example, a shallow draft vessel regardless of what it's carrying, may not be charged for deep dredging when it did not need the deep dredging. So it's an an example of an approach that is obviously far closer to a justifiable user fee, and it was in this very legislative package. It can be done. Uh, You know, also, as as the quotations that Mr. Wallace um, gave us indicate, this was a difficult political process, to be sure. Cong- uh, the, the framers were worried about how exports would survive in the political process. That's why th- we have an export clause. Uh, this is clear from the constitutional debates. There was concern that if you left these matters to Congress, that in the give and take of the political process, exports would not come out favorably. So instead of waiting for Congress to include exemptions in the statutes, and there are a lot of exemptions in this statute, Congress, uh, the the framers put the exemption in the Constitution itself, and that exemption is not being honored here. Uh, There is a a long tradition under the Export Clause of broad liberal construction. The Court has said that in Fairbank. Uh, It said it most recently in IBM. It said it in A.G. Spalding. And uh, the, the, the broad construction to which the Export Clause is supposed to be given would be completely undermined here by an ad valorem tax. I'm I'm not sure um, what your answer was to Justice Breyer's question. There there are many ways of allocating allocating costs. Uh, In Justice O'Connor's example, I I suppose a valuable shipment needs some extra security guards uh, in a a safe warehouse facility. Maybe that's included in the Act. Uh, It seems to me that... uh, Ed Valorum is certainly the simplest way 